Just one verse tonight. <clears throat> but it's a verse that's worth thinking about. It's a verse that's worth ruminating on, all right? <clears throat> I'm going to try and finish up early so that we're, <clears throat> uh, we're not here late, right? Uh, <clears throat> Paul says this. He says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Kind of a <clears throat> strange thought. To glory in a cross? Really, humanly speaking, that doesn't make sense. But Paul says, God forbid that I should glory in anything else other than the cross. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us tonight? Bless the Spirit of the living God. Would you open our hearts? Open our minds to receive all that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us and draw us into that sweet place uh, where Paul was. And Lord, to you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> First of all, Paul says, God forbid. So he's not uh, talking about something that's just uh, nothing. This is important. God forbids this. This would not be right for you to do. So it's not right for you to glory in anything other than the cross. Now, uh, to a 21st century people, that's kind of a strange thing because we glory in all kinds of things. I think in Paul's day there were a lot of things to glory in, and definitely there, in our day there are even more things to glory in. And our hearts and our minds get drawn away uh, to glorying in all kinds of things. And the idea is we put weight on these things. These are important to us. We kind of judge ourselves and engage ourselves by these things in our lives. And Paul says, no, don't do that. <clears throat> you need to glory in the cross and nothing else. Now, the Bible doesn't give us helpful suggestions. The Bible gives us commands. He says, God forbids. This is for you and this is for me. This is important that we take this on board. And honestly, I think when we don't take commands like this on board and grapple with them and deal with them and apply them in our lives, what happens is we leave ourselves open to the attack of the enemy. And the enemy's clever at taking advantage of every area that we leave uncovered in our lives. So we need to be <clears throat> careful that we actually take it on board, that we look at this and that we do it. It says, God forbid that I should glory in anything. Right? <clears throat> God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't to glory in anything else. Now Paul as a human being had a lot that he could have gloried in. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, he's giving them a warning here in Philippians. He says that, that, that to beware of those people that would bring them into bondage uh, to the flesh again. Right? And in verse 4 he says this, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. You know, what Paul is saying, that I've got a lot going for me. I've got a lot on my pedigree. I've got a lot on my CV. I've got a lot of things that I could look at and I could say, you know what? <clears throat> Listen, I've confidence in these things. And then he lists them for us. He says, circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, <clears throat> of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, right? So as far as the law was concerned, in Paul's life, from the time he was born, he'd kept the law. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was another notch for him. Uh, uh, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was, you know, when it came to being a Jew, he was really a Jew. He really had it all together. He was top notch. He was a top flight Jew. Uh, he had it all going for him. And then, when it came to the law, he was a Pharisee. 
Now remember, when he said he was a Pharisee, he didn't mean he was a hypocrite. What, he'd, what he meant was, I kept that section of the law that was hard to keep. Not many people kept the section of the law, but I kept it. I did a good job on it. I, I was a, a, on top of my game as far as being a Pharisee was concerned. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Now, here's what happened for Paul. When Christianity came about and the Lord Jesus um, <clears throat> was crucified and rose again, Paul took it on himself to stamp this false religion out because everybody knew that, that, that the Hebrew faith, that being a Jew was the way to go. And this, this, this new faith from this new guy from Nazareth was wrong. And so Paul took it on board to actually persecute the church. So he went higher up in the echelons uh, of the religious life as far as being a Jew was concerned. He was somebody who was kind of above reproach, who was, who was way above it. Uh, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, you know what? That's a hard thing to say. But here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that as far as the law was concerned, as far as doing the things I was supposed to do, I was blameless. Right, so as far as Paul was concerned, he kept the 613 uh, <clears throat> commandments of the Old Testament. He actually did it. He did those things. As far as he was concerned, <clears throat> he was blameless in those things. But notice what else he says. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now, here's what he's saying. I had this rich pedigree. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was blameless. I was <clears throat> all these things. But he said, but I counted nothing. That I might win Christ. That I might have Christ. When he looked at what he had and he looked at Christ, he said all of it was nothing. Right? Now, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. H how do you reckon on yourself? What, 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 when you look at yourself and you look at who you are and what you are, how do you reckon it? Well, I am this and I am that and I have done this and I have done that and I am and I am and I am. Isn't that normally what we do? And what we do is we glory in who we are and in what we are in the world. And that becomes <clears throat> who we are to us. But Paul says, no, that was who I was, but you know what? It's nothing. It's nothing. Now, <clears throat> really what he's getting at us at, at first here in this passage is that we have to come to the place where we make the world nothing. And all its shiny baubles and all its promises and all the things that it would, would give us and all the accolades that the world can give us that we, we count it as nothing. That's not what I'm going after. It doesn't matter. L let me ask you <clears throat> something else. How important to you is other people's opinion of you? The fact that they think well of you. How important is that to you? Think about Jesus for a moment when he went to the cross. How important was people's opinion to him? It didn't count. It didn't figure at all. What people thought didn't matter at all. See, when he went to the cross, he was on his own completely. It was just Jesus. I know they got Simeon, they made Simeon carry the cross with him, but you know what? 
Simeon was only there because he was forced to be there. He was not there because he wanted to be there. At all. He was just there because he was forced to be. You might say, well, well he was crucified amongst two, two thieves. He wasn't alone. Well, we could hardly say that the thieves were company for him. I mean, the one reviled him, the other asked him for salvation, but we could hardly say, you see, he went alone. His own people couldn't believe it had all got so wrong. They couldn't believe what was happening. The Pharisees thought it was fantastic. We finally got him. We finally got him. We finally got this guy, and we got him sorted. He was an upstart anyway, and we, we got him sorted. And you know what? It didn't matter what anybody thought. It couldn't matter what anybody thought. If what people had thought mattered, you know what? He could never have done it. Now, <clears throat> what does it matter to you what people think? And here's the issue. When it comes down to serving God and doing what God would have you to do, are you hindered by the fact, well, what would people think of me if I did that? You know, I think there are a lot of people who won't get saved and will spend eternity in hell because they're afraid of what other people would think. They're afraid of what other people would think. Well, what would people think if I did that? If I became one of them? And I think there are a lot of Christians who will never serve God because they're afraid of what people would think. You know, they, they would think I was weird. They would think I was a Bible banger. They would think I was a fanatic if I did what God wants me to do. And really what happens for us is what people think is so much more important to us than what God thinks. What Paul is talking about here is being in a place where, you know what? My glory is the cross. My glory is what happened there. You see, the world has many ways to draw us. Look at 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 and verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you know that God sets up himself up in opposition to the world? You can love the world and what it thinks. You can live for that. But you can't live for God at the same time. You say, well, no, hang on a minute. I live in the world. I can, I can make the two work together. Now, God says, if any man love the world, then the, <clears throat> the love of the Father is not in him. That you don't love God. Now, <clears throat> you say, well, what it's talking about there is the wicked world. It's talking about nightclubs and drinking and doing all those bad things. No, it's not it's talking about the world. It's talking about the world system. It's talking about a system that is, <clears throat> at its core, is rotten. And it's saying, you know what, if you love it, then the love of the Father is not in you. That, that, that you can't look two directions at the same time, and you can't love the world and love God at the same time. It's impossible for you. You can't do it. It's impossible. Right? So love not the world. <clears throat> and then he goes on to explain it a little bit more for us. Verse 16 for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, you know, each one of us have to eat. If you don't eat for long enough, you actually die. But, you know what, there's a lust of the flesh where we can live to eat, isn't there? And that, that can change for us there. 
you know, <clears throat> that lust, you know, and there are so many other lusts that can draw us away. There's the lust for immorality. And it's all the world casting its hook and catching us and drawing it to ourself, drawing, it, drawing us to itself. Now, <clears throat> the lust of the flesh will draw you. You can't live for the flesh. You can't live for the comfort of the flesh, for the pleasure of the flesh. If you do, what it's going to do is it's going to draw you away from God. Understand it. You can't do it. Look what else it says. Though uh, The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the things that we see. You know, and we can see and we can covet, can't we? We have an economic system that is built on covetousness. That's what advertising is about. Advertising is about getting you to see something so that you want it, so that you spend money to buy it. That, 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 that's, that, that's what the whole thing is about. And <clears throat> so easy for us to go that way and to look and to see and to covet and, and to listen. There's, there's nothing that's bad for you in that sense. But you know, <clears throat> the truth is that when you get to the place of coveting, when you get to the place of looking, uh, of desiring it, of seeking it, you know what? That can draw you away from God. And then he says in the pride of life. And the pride of life would really correspond to the idea of what people think of us. Who I am in society. Who I am in my culture. What people think of me. I am a person to be reckoned with. You know, Christians have been martyred all through the centuries and still today are martyred. And you know, when God calls somebody to be martyred, they don't take them out to be martyred, you know, uh, with a band playing uh, and everybody going hurrah. When somebody gets to be martyred, they're the offscouring of the earth. They're hated. They're being taken away because, you know what, <clears throat> they're nobody. And really, as a believer, what you got to do is you got to, listen, I can't be driven by the pride of life. I can't be driven by what people think of me. Because sooner or later, I'm going to have to make a choice that's going to upset them all. Sooner or later, I'm going to have to choose Christ. I'm going to have to choose <clears throat> to suffer with the people of Christ at some place. And you know what? It's going to turn them all away from me. I can't live on those things. You know, the, the, <clears throat> the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, those things get in the way. Right? <clears throat> and he says, that's not of the Father, but of the world. Be careful of the hooks the world puts into you. Be careful of the hooks that it lands in your soul to draw you to it. Verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. All of it's going to pass away. Your house, your car, everything's going to be gone. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, all of that's going to go someday. All of that's going to be gone. All of that's going to be removed. All of that's going to be taken away from you someday. He says, don't live for those things. Those things are not it. Those things are, <clears throat> are not what counts. Now, now back to our text here, right? Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. And verse 14. <clears throat> God forbid that I should glory... Right? So what Paul is doing there, it's a blanket. I'm not to glory in any of those things. I'm not to glory in the things of the world. Not at all. Right? 
save in the cross. Now, that sounds so back to front. How could one possibly glory in the cross? I mean, the cross is a symbol of shame, punishment, pain. Losers got crucified. They're the only people that got crucified. You know, um, nobody on, nobody on a cross was a winner. Nobody on a cross was was winning. They, they were they were a loser. It was a place of shame. It was a place where, where when somebody went to the cross, you know, there was nothing but shame. It was a place of mocking. It was a place where you were a public spectacle. It was a place of agony, and you died in agony and in shame on a cross. So why would you glory in a cross? Doesn't that really seem back to front to you? We're supposed to glory in the cross, though. <clears throat> let, let me give you some reasons why you can glory in the cross. First of all, the cross shows us God's love. You look at the cross, and you realize He paid for your sins on it. You know, the cross shows you God's love. <clears throat> now, here's honestly what I think I think we're all looking for love. We're looking for the right kind of love. Ultimately, we have an emptiness in us that's looking to be loved. And what we find, everything in, everything in the world just kind of may, may promise, but it never satisfies. You know, the lust of the flesh promises to make us feel okay and make us feel loved, but it doesn't. You know, the, um, the lust of the eye you know, the, the, the getting promises but doesn't satisfy. The pride of life, what people think of me, promises but doesn't, doesn't satisfy. But when I come to the cross, when I look at the cross and when I glory in the cross, I am loved. I am loved so much that a Savior shed His blood and gave His life for me. You know what? That does something to you. But the others are all the enemies of coming to that place where you understand His love. Second thing, obviously, about the cross is the cross saves us from the penalty of sin. I deserve hell. I'm absolutely convinced of that. You know what? <clears throat> I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell for the wrong I've done even since I was saved. And so do you. But I'm not going to go to hell. When you hear of David O'Gorman is gone, don't be worried that he's in hell. I'm not, I won't be in hell. I'll be with the lovely Lord. It would have just gotten a whole lot better in my life. I'm not pushing to get there before the time, but you know what? When you hear I'm gone... Don't cry about it. That's a day to rejoice. Because I'll be with him. And the reason is because he loved me and died on the cross for me and paid the price for my sin. I'm set. I'm fixed. I'm eternally set because of the cross. You know what? It may have been shame and it may have been pain for him, but it's glory for me. He paid the price for my sin. Third thing it does is it saves us from the power of sin. You see, 
here's what happens to us in this world. Sin puts its hook into us and draws us. And whenever sin is drawing us, it's painful. Now, it promises happiness, but it's painful. It promises fun, but what it does is it Unless it's pain from us, it hurts. And that's always the way. And we're such fools that we get caught over and over and over again. No, we, we plan on things we're going to do and, and, and they don't work out and they boomerang back in our faces, they explode in our faces, and, and we get hurt by the things we had planned were going to make it better for us. Because we can't make it better for ourselves, ultimately. What happens is, you see, we end up with the same emptiness and we end up being drawn to all the wrong things, all the things that can't fix it. All the things that we hope will make us feel better but never do. But when we come to Christ, you know what, not only does he love me, not only does he save me from the penalty of sin and give me a home in heaven, but you know what he does? He breaks its power in my life. I don't have to do dumb things. Because of the cross. I don't have to sin because of the cross. What's happened is because of the cross, everything's changed. Because of the cross, there's a power available to me to give me victory over sin. You don't have to live your life under the... with the feeling of guilt. You know... Uh, one of the songs we just sang talk about sin like the cold waves flow in on our lives isn't that the way it was sin just came out like that that awful horrible experience of of cold water coming in on top of you again and again and again what can avail the blood of Jesus Christ the cross it breaks the power of sin in my life It gets me out of the place where those waves are crashing on me all the time. Now, understand this. You don't get yourself out of that place. The cross does. You can't get yourself victory over sin. The cross did. It's when I understand the power of the cross and let that in to change my life. That's when I have victory over sin. Read through Romans chapter 6. Memorize it. Soak in it. You know what? Sin shall not have dominion over you if you're not under the, uh, under the uh, law, but under grace. Sin's power has been broken in your life. You don't have to be a fool anymore. You've been set free. You've been cut loose from its power. Life is different because of the cross. You know what? <clears throat> Every time you experience victory over sin in your life, you can glory in the cross. Because that's why. It's not because you're a good person, because you're a reformed character, because you've changed your life around and turned your life around and you've gotten better. It's because the cross has broken the power of canceled sin. The cross has changed it all for you. You're different because of the cross. I can glory in that. Now, I'm not going to glory in it very much unless I'm experiencing it. If I'm saved and still living in sin, you know what? That doesn't seem like glory to me. But when I reckon on the power that breaks sin's bind on me and live with victory over sin, then I glory in the cross. What a Savior. What a God. 
last part of the verse here says this. <clears throat> By whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. And I thought, thought for a long time, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm crucified unto the world, and the world is crucified unto me. And here's what it means. It means... <clears throat> Um, the world is dead to me. And I'm dead to the world. See, all the things that drove you, all the things that, that carried you along, and carried you into sin, and carried you into things that weren't convenient, and carried you into things that, that, that hurt you, and carried you into things that grieved God and left you feeling guilty, all of those things, you are dead to and they are dead to you. You say, hang on a minute, I don't feel very much like I'm dead to them. That's the truth. That's what the scripture says. You may not be living in the light of the truth, but that's the truth. And what you need to do is you need to come online with the truth. And say, okay, well, if that's true, then I'm dead to sin. And we use the illustration of a drunk person. You can have somebody who <clears throat> falls up and down the street all day, every day, drunk. And one day they stagger out underneath a bus. Right? All their lives they have desired drink, they have wanted drink, it's been their life, their eyes light up when you talk about drink. You produce a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of wine and they come alive. Because they are very alive to <clears throat> alcohol. Right? You can have, but they walk out under a bus, they get knocked down and they are stone cold dead. Now you can take a bottle of whiskey and you can bring it over and you can say, do you want a drop? But they don't anymore because they're dead to it. You can take the cap off the bottle of whiskey and you can pour it on their lips. It doesn't matter. They're dead. You can do anything you like with the whiskey and it doesn't matter now. They're dead. They don't want it anymore. It's over. Now, here's the reality of what the scripture is saying. You're dead to sin and sin is dead to you. You're crucified to the world, you're dead to the world, and the world is dead to you. Now, live in that reality. It's not a case of, well, I've got to get my act together, because you never get your act together. It's a case of, this is reality, this is what Jesus did on the cross. And you're dead to it, and it's dead to you. Now, you know, <clears throat> as we look at Paul here in Galatians chapter 6, do you know he's free? The world has no power over him. The world can't make Paul do anything. Paul's going to do exactly what he believes the Lord would have him to do all the time. It has absolutely no power because he's living in the reality of he's dead to it and it is dead to him. He doesn't desire it and there's nothing of it that can draw him anymore. Paul's free. Now here's the, <clears throat> the amazing thing about the glorious truth of Scripture. That when you take it on board and let it be real in your life, it sets you free. You're free. You don't need the world to validate you. You don't need the world to look at you and to say, yeah, you're okay. Because you're free. Doesn't that sound good? That's what the verse is talking about. <clears throat> But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross. What are you glorying in tonight? What is it that when you think about yourself, you say, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm the man. 
I can do it. I'm the footballer. I'm the academic. I can sing. I can. What is it that you glory in? Stop glorying in that. It's just going to lead you into bondage. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to glory in the cross. Here I was, a sinner on my way to hell. But Jesus came and he went on the cross and he saved me. I'm loved, I'm forgiven, and I'm free. That's my glory. I never was anything, I'm never going to be anything, but you know what? Um, I can glory in the cross because of what he did for me. You see, he put value on me by dying for me. I can glory in the cross. And I'm crucified to the world, and the world is crucified unto me. I am free. See, the Christian life is not a life where you can't have any fun. The Christian life is a life where God sets you free from the things that would destroy you. To live with real joy in His presence now and in eternity. Don't miss all that you're given. Don't miss it and fall short because of the cross. I have everything. I need now or will ever need. I can glory in it. Let's stand for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the cross. And we thank you for such a great plan. And we thank you for sending a Savior. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, as we partake of the table tonight, Lord, would you make it real to us? Would you let it not be, Lord, just a truth that we heard in church on a Sunday night? But let, let it be a living, breathing reality in our lives. Lord, may we know that freedom and may we know that joy because we've chosen not to glory in the world but rather to glory in the cross. Thank you, Lord, because we know you will. In Jesus' name, amen.